please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. Rock bottom was probably when I got to the point where it was affecting work a lot. There were actually a couple days where I was just unable, either unable to go or had to go home early due to like really high anxiety, um, really strong compulsions. Um, luckily, I have a very understanding boss and company. We're very small and they're very um, uh, up and sympathetic to mental health issues. So, you know, that side of it was okay, but it was, you know, so affecting work and unfortunately affecting my, my husband as well, who is very patient and very understanding, but um, he was having to deal with a lot of drama <laughs> because of my symptoms. Um, probably the thing that really like made me realize I needed to talk to someone was when a one of our IT people from out of the office came to fix my computer and a lot of my anxiety and OCD is related to germophobia like very a very specific kind but germophobia and having this gentleman touch my stuff in the middle of winter was just like a I I couldn't function the rest of the day like I was sitting in another room shaking trying not to cry and in my head thinking he's fine like you can just you can wipe but you know so like my head was saying one thing the rest of my head was saying another and I had to go home I got sent home because I was so like I just couldn't really function at work and that was kind of got home and was like okay this is I need to get this under control my name is Chelsea and I was recently diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and mild OCD. Partly because my anxiety started very normal and honestly I, at the time I don't think we me or my family even knew it was anxiety. I think just thought I was like having a little moment you know um and it just kind of like continued to get a little bit worse every couple of years. Um, and for, for a while, my, my mother had encouraged me to go talk to someone. Um, but I just, it never got so bad that I felt like I needed to. It, it would always just kind of get right to the line. Like I would toe the line of, oh, that was maybe like having a complete like panic attack and inability to speak over hearing that someone in your family is sick, even though you haven't been near them in a week. <laughs> Man, that's probably not normal, but it just never, like, I was always able to keep it, like, at home and kind of contained, you know, and most people didn't really know about it. They'd sort of know, oh, like, Chelsea doesn't like, you know, to shake hands with strangers or whatever, but it wasn't, like, a thing. Um, so, yeah, it, and it just, like, really slowly just got worse and worse. And then, like I said, this past um, winter was really bad. And so that's where it was like, all right, we got to get this handled. <laughs> but looking back, absolutely. Um, the line, I was, I was probably moving the line myself. Like, 
every every time it would get a little bit worse it would just become normalized um so yeah and and just to kind of put some context into it i have a very odd specific phobia that relates to my anxiety and ocd which is um sorry but the fear of throwing up um i've had this for quite a long time it's very specific um most of my anxiety does not at least before we have since discovered that there probably were some things that i was anxious about and didn't realize um but all very much related to that so like i couldn't i didn't really like being around like really drunk people at bars which in college was hard you know it was hard to sort of be with your peers and oh god anytime someone got sick around me it was like bad times <laughs> i would like have full-on panic attacks even just like hearing someone talk about it i'm like you can't you can't talk about this i can't watch a movie where this is happening um so yeah i mean definitely the line moved because it, it was at one point like oh i just don't like want to see it on tv and it would it just sort of progressed from there into compulsive behavior compulsive thoughts um you know hand washing too much not touching door handles like all that kind of stuff And I think that actually often really played into the anxiety and the panic attacks because part of it would be then you you feel awful. You feel like terrified of whatever's happening or anxious about whatever's happening. And then you feel stupid for feeling. And I know I obviously don't say that about myself now. I don't call it stupid anymore. But at the time, I would feel stupid for feeling that way. And then I would feel guilty that my husband was having to handle my panic attacks, which at the time I didn't even know they were panic attacks. I didn't know what I was like, what was happening. Um, and he's incredibly patient and incredibly empathetic and understanding. So he never made me feel bad or like I wasn't allowed to have these feelings, but he, he would get frustrated because he didn't know what to do. Um, and kind of over time we, we did, we talked and I would let him know, like, you know, if there's, sometimes I wouldn't be able to speak. I would get myself so riled up, call it the hamster wheel. I get on that hamster wheel and like, I wouldn't, couldn't get off. I wouldn't be able to talk. I would just be like crying and literally unable to speak. So it was actually his idea that we had, um, an anxiety notebook. And so like, whenever I, was really starting to spiral. Like the notebook would come out and I could write it down. And if I could write it down, I usually started to calm down. So it it did affect him. I I mean, I don't know if I even know the full extent, but I, I know that he felt very frustrated and scared sometimes um, with not really knowing how to handle it. It's interesting now speaking to my mother and, and kind of remembering things from long time ago, like my childhood that I'm now starting to link to what I'm feeling as an adult. And she actually started it. She, when I was a lot younger, I, she would, she'll tell me I would get into these, she would call them fits. She's from the South. So she called it a fit and she wouldn't really know what was upsetting me. And, and she, and I would not be able to verbally express despite the amount that I talk now, I wouldn't be able to verbally express what was going on in my head. And so she would, have me write it down once I was obviously old enough to write. And there was something I think about the, the lack of pressure to, to get the words out, right. You could sort of think a little bit more about what you were writing and kind of 
it would always, I would feel better. Um, combine that with a hug. Like we definitely believe in the, um, the, what's, I can't remember what that's called, but the pressure therapy always helps as well. Weighted blankets are great. Um, would, would really help. And so it's always kind of been something that I've remembered. And so when this started getting really bad, that's why I was like, you know, I think when I'm getting like that, I think I can still write, even if it's not full sentences, because my, my brain literally would not let me talk. And it was scary. Um, when that started happening as an old, like as an adult, the sort of inability to talk is like really frightening. You kind of, you're like, you're trying to tell your body to do something and it won't do it. And it's really scary. So then being able to have a way of communicating, even if it was just to say, I literally cannot speak right now. That's why I'm not talking was, was really helpful. And I, I think also for me, like the physical act of you know, moving and doing something helped as well. Cause often in my panic attacks, I would, it's, it's the freeze. Like I, my body would literally just freeze up, like can't move, can't talk, which obviously for my poor husband, boyfriend at the time is terrifying. <laughs> um, it, it definitely helped in that aspect. And then once you know that you, you start to calm down, then you can talk a little bit better and it would just kind of get me off that hamster wheel, as I like to say, especially cause a lot of my because my anxieties and my triggers are so specific, um, but odd, like it would, a lot of them were like medically related, you know, the minute something weird happens to me, I'm convinced I have cancer, that kind of thing. And so sometimes seeing it in writing is like, okay, that's a little, that's irrational. Like it's, you know, it's going to be these other, you know, you can kind of, it's almost also, I think the act of writing is also a little bit like writing to yourself, if that makes sense. Um, which interestingly enough, and I've actually never made this connection before, um, relates to a technique that my therapist taught me in, um, when I've just forgotten the name of the, the kind of therapy that I did, but, um, where you almost imagine your anxiety and your OCD as a, a person outside yourself so that you can talk to it, um, and, you know, leave it at home. Um, I ended up, <laughs> he, he told me, to name the person, um, you know, think of this person outside yourself, give it a name. And I was like, no, 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 mine is not a person. Mine is a llama. I don't know why, but it is. Um, this is, this is a llama. It's, you know, he's hungry. They love, they love drama. They're hungry. That is the llama. I named him Bob. So Bob the llama my, is my anxiety. And my husband actually bought me a little stuffed llama to like give it a physicality right and it honestly it sounds so silly but it that really helped almost well not more than the medication that really helped too but <laughs> on top of that that was one of the things that really clicked for me and I think in in my case that was really important to kind of find a method that made sense in in my head and that worked um, and part of the reason I think it worked is because, and, and my therapist asked like, why did you make it a llama? Why did you name it Bob? And I was like, cause it makes me laugh. Every time I say Bob the llama, I laugh. And so you immediately, it's a little bit of that pressure is kind of off, if that makes sense. Um, so the, the technique was, you know, when you're starting to feel anxious, you, you say, okay, who's talking right now? Is it me or is it Bob the llama? So you immediately giggle because right you know it's you know you giggle when you're above the llama and you have these conversations and by having a little physical stuffed llama 
every so often if we go out, like restaurants are really hard for me. Eating out is, is difficult and still is to a certain extent. So, you know, one of my pieces of homework was going to eat out at a restaurant. And the first time I did it, my husband was like, all right, where's Bob? And I was like, he's on the shelf. He's staying here. <laughs> and so it was kind of the ability to say, like, I am separating myself from my anxiety. I am not my anxiety. The anxiety is a part of me that sometimes is very valid. It has a purpose in the human psyche. You need it sometimes. But Bob is being too loud and talking too much. So he needs to stay home. And we can talk later if we need to. You know, it works really well. <laughs> first off going to acknowledge that I I recognize and acknowledge that I've been very lucky in my mental health journey um, in trying one medication and it's worked like magic try you know one psych actually no I went to two psychiatrists the first one was terrible and I didn't go back to her but my second psychiatrist was amazing she's great we have a great relationship and the therapist that's in-house with her was also great and I really got along. So I fully recognize that that is not a normal experience for most people. Um, and it is, is a privilege, I think, for me that I was able to do that. Um, so I definitely, for anyone that's listening, I, I do recognize that, that that is not everyone's journey. Um, I am very grateful that it was for me. Um, my psychiatrist was, the second one I went to, I did not go to her first originally because she doesn't take insurance. So she's very expensive. <laughs> um, the first psychiatrist I tried, I did not vibe with her. I did not like her. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but it was just not a good fit. Um, so I did end up going to my family psychiatrist. So my mom sees this woman, my sister sees this woman, and my brother has also seen this woman. <laughs> so um, we, I kind of already knew she was good um, in that sense. Um, and she, yeah, she just recommended, she said, we have a therapist on staff um, that, you know, I would recommend, oh, CBT. That's the word I was looking for. She says he's the gentleman that does CBT therapy. And I, re I really liked him. I really got along well with him. Um, I, I did, I still, we do, you know, we still do um, Zoom calls pretty regularly. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I think, very lucky in, in finding two people that I really feel very comfortable with. So um, I'm taking Zoloft. Um, just kind of, which I think is kind of the standard one that a lot of people start with to see if it works. Again, totally recognize that I'm very lucky that it worked. I didn't really have any side effects. It worked very well right away. Um, my own sibling has, has is still trying medications and not really finding anything that works. So I, I definitely know. I feel I feel bad about it sometimes, but I you know I I, I just I recognize that there's a privilege there. Um, so. From what my understanding from a medical standpoint that it does is it um, helps with my serotonin receptors. Um, how my psychiatrist explained it is that um, I don't have either I don't have enough serotonin receptors or they're like misaligned. And so I don't have enough serotonin in my system, which is causing the anxiety and mild OCD. So the Zoloft gives you more, helps match those receptors up. Um, and it really has really decreased the amount of obsessive thoughts I have. Um, just general worries about things that, that don't matter. Um, and I've actually noticed like it, it really did help with like my main trigger point, but there were things that I never attributed to anxiety before that I realized 
now are like, oh, like I'm, I'm kind of realizing, I think I had some more triggers than I thought I did. Um, yeah, it's been very, like a big weight off my shoulders. <laughs> I think there was three points um, when I really realized that the, the medication, you know, plus um, therapy was working was actually maybe three. I don't know. I can only do two if you want. But um, the first was that I started therapy and taking meds like in February. So when all of the COVID stuff was happening, but it wasn't like full force in the United States yet. Right about the time we shut down, which was March 16th, we all got sent home from work. Um, and we were told to work from home. I think I'd been on them long enough that I was really feeling, you know, I was feeling the effect of them at that point. I was feeling a little bit better. And I remember having a conversation with a coworker that I, I, I know is also, um, you know, going to therapy and stuff. And she, she told me, she says, I'm feeling so anxious. I'm feeling so worried about this, you know, and I suddenly had this realization of, I feel fine. It was weird because normally a global virus that is, is getting would really be a trigger for me that, and I, like back in January, it was making me panic all the time. I was constantly panicking about it, um, especially when they told us that nausea and vomiting was a symptom, which it wasn't originally. And then I went, oh, no. <laughs> um, and so just kind of that having that conversation with someone who doesn't have the same triggers that I do and kind of that realization of like, oh, but I, I feel fine was very eye opening because. I don't think I'd sort of um, processed it before because I'd been at home. I hadn't really had talked to anyone about it. Um, so that was kind of the big point of like, okay, I think this is working. Um, there were some other smaller things. Like I remember I had to go to work a couple of months ago and <laughs> this sounds so silly when I say it, but there's a specific door and door handle that was like a really big problem for me when I, in the midst of like when it was really bad. Um, and I would either have to like get a paper towel and like open the door handle that way or like use my elbow or something. And I distinctly remember going into work, walking towards that door, having the moment of, oh, I need to like get something. And then being like, no, I don't. I'm fine. You can touch that door handle. And walking through it, you know, I still wash my hands afterwards, but not having the compulsive like, if I don't do this, I literally physically cannot walk through that door. Um, that was another big moment um of realizing that okay this is working this is what a a, a quote-unquote normal brain feels like i mean i think oftentimes i may have been mislabeled as shy um which i realized if talking to me now you're like what are you talking about <laughs> but like a lot. So I, I moved a lot when I was young. We moved, um, when I was eight, we moved from California to the UK. Um, I lived there for 10 years. It was a very formative part of life. Moving to another country and going to a private school at eight is a very odd experience coming from a Los Angeles public school. Um, and I think that there were a lot of things that looking back were anxiety, but were, like I said, mislabeled as just she's shy or she's adjusting. Um, I mean, I literally for the first six weeks of that school, I cried every single day. And I think maybe a week would have been normal for most kids. But like six weeks is a lot of crying every single morning at school. 
Um, but again, I think it was just people saw it as like, oh, she's adjusting, you know, and I've always been a very, like, my emotions do not stay inside for the most part. <laughs> they're, they're out there. Um, so I just think people kind of saw it as like, oh, she's just like emotional. She's okay. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting, like looking back on a lot of stuff, I think, like I said, we're anxiety, but just none of us were really realizing it. Even though, as I've learned now, like really recently, my, my mother has suffered from anxiety for much of her adult life. We didn't really talk about it. Um, and I say that with the caveat of my mother is amazing. She is very supportive. She is very open. We talk about whatever we need to talk about. But I think even, you know, even now, even five, 10 years ago, people didn't really talk about this stuff. You didn't really, it was still kind of taboo thing. You don't, you just deal with it and you don't talk to people about it. And I didn't realize my mother was on the same medication as me until literally the day they prescribed it. And I said, mom, why wouldn't you tell me this? I would feel, I would have done this a long time ago if I'd known that you were taking it and you were fine because... I, oh, taking the Zoloft for the first time, you guys, whoo, that was an adventure because new medication is really hard for somebody with a throwing up phobia because every time you read the label and it says might cause all these things and you, and literally I, I, I think I was, I had like a schedule of when I was supposed to take it for the first time. I think I had to delay it by like three days because I just could not, literally couldn't swallow the pill um and finally she had to also prescribe me with um oh I can't remember the name of it right now but it's like a, a mild sedative to be able to take the medication um so I was like mother this would have been much easier for me if you had told me that you were also taking this medication um so I definitely think that and you know hopefully mom if you end up listening to this you don't feel bad but I think I probably would have maybe address these issues sooner if we had recognized them as what they were earlier. Um, and, you know, maybe if I'd known a little bit more about something that my, you know, that my own, that my own mom was going through. Um, the reason that I think it didn't and, and the credit that I will give her is that I have an older sibling um, who's on the autism spectrum, uh, not super severe, but you know, quite high on the autism spectrum. And so a lot of, I think a lot of things were missed in me and my brother because they're dealing with someone whose anxiety and issues are so much more extreme that they, they don't necessarily have to, to them. We seem fine, if that makes sense. Um, so I think maybe that's why some of what I now realize is it was anxiety was just kind of seen as shyness or just normal worry, things like that. almost daily having moments where I sort of step outside myself and go like, you just did that. You just did that thing that six months ago, you would have gone into a full blown panic attack about eating the bag of broccoli that was kind of puffy. And so it might be contaminated, you know? Um, so almost every day I'm having moments like that. Um, you know, I've recently realized that the my inability to watch horror movies was not related to the fact that they're gross and scary but was my anxiety i watched american horror story the other day and was just sitting there like oh this is cool 
never was able to watch that before. So that's been really interesting to see other things that that were something I didn't realize was maybe making me anxious and I didn't even like click with it. So that's been kind of an odd thing where I've been really examining my anxiety a lot because I'm seeing it through such a different lens. Um, things still come up, you know, um, we, we got delivery the other day and I definitely still was like, we got to take everything out of the containers and like wash our hands, you know, so there, there's still an aspect of it, but the, the compulsions are really almost gone. And that was, I think what put me into that moment of realizing I'm not okay was, was the compulsive behaviors of feeling like I have to do this or I'm going to break down was really what was the, the big, the big point. So not having those compulsive thoughts anymore is, is very nice. Um, I do still experience anxiety. There was a moment, um, probably a couple months ago where I don't even remember what triggered it, honestly, but I distinctly remember I was getting really hot and grumpy and like really feeling strange, but I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I finally realized I was anxious, but I just, it had been so long since I'd felt that, that I didn't recognize it anymore. And it was kind of exhibiting itself in a different way. Um, thankfully I was able to do that and be like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. And then, you know, we obviously went into the CBT and like all that stuff, figured out, get it handled before I got on the hamster wheel, which was very nice. Um, so I think it's, it's still, you know, daily, there's definitely, you know, thoughts happen, they're in your head. Um, but I'm much more able to deal with them before the hamster wheel is presented <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, and I think now it's actually trying to, to recognize my anxiety symptoms because they're different. Um, and I've talked to the therapist and the psychiatrist about this is they're very different symptoms now. Um, so kind of learning to, to recognize these new symptoms and be able to deal with them, even though they're less, you still need to make sure you're managing them and addressing them. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's a really odd sort of I have a lot of these like out of body moments where I'm like, look at you, you did a thing. I'm so proud of you. Maybe I wouldn't have needed this in high school, but definitely in college, I would have said, you need to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist. And I promise you, it's not scary. It's not a big deal. Everybody does it. They might not tell you, but everybody does it. And you're going to feel 20 times better. And then you're not going to have to live through 10 years of bizarre panic attacks and, you know, the inability to do things at certain times of the year and, and all this, the stress that you're putting your body through. Um, because that, that was a big eye opener for me too, is the, the minute kind of, having a quiet conversation with a friend and saying, Oh yeah, they, they want me to start this medication. And my, you know, your friend will be like, Oh yeah, I've taken that before. And it's just like, what? and I, I realize literally like every person I know is on medication and it's no big deal, but we never talked about it before, you know? So I think having someone else or myself to tell me like, everybody's doing it, <laughs> you know? you're going to be fine. would have been so, so helpful other than feeling like if I do this I'm a crazy person you know there's sort of two two things that I would say is is number one um 
please understand that I, re I realize this is illogical and it does not make sense to you. Um, it doesn't have to make sense to you. I just need you to be patient with me um, while I work through whatever it is that I'm working through. Um, and the second thing, this is a little blunt, but never say it's going to be okay to someone with anxiety <laughs> because you just make it so much worse. And that, that phrase, I think people don't realize that phrase can be, I don't want to say triggering because that's like a, I don't know, it's a buzzword now, but it really can make it worse because it's just reminding the person that they're acting weird. Like it's just a reminder that your brain is not functioning normally, quote unquote, at this time and you're acting strange. And then you're, it, for me, hearing that always just makes me spiral even more because then I get angry and I go, well, it's not. And you don't understand and then you just get more angry and guilty and it, it just like makes that hamster wheel spin faster. So I guess, I guess that would be my two pieces of advice is, you know, be, be patient, be understanding. Don't tell them it's going to be okay. Find something else <laughs> to tell them. <laughs> I think working where I do has also given me kind of an odd perspective on this. I don't know if that is interesting at all. Um, okay, cool. Because we we have a lot of dogs and cats that also are on anti-anxiety medication um, where I work. And I think a lot of people don't realize in shelters across the country is like doggy Zoloft and kitty Zoloft is, is prescribed fairly frequently because it's such a high stress environment. And it's interesting because I often have conversations with people that are adopting maybe a pet that's, that's currently taking um, an, an anxiety medication or, or, you know, even gabapentin, which is a sedative. Um, and they'll kind of be like, well, why, why are you doing, why is this pet on medication? Why do they need that? You shouldn't be giving them that. And I often have to say, this is just like people. People have chemical imbalances and so do animals. And it's been interesting how being able to have that conversation in relation to a pet kind of opens people up about it. Um, it, it. That's been a really kind of um, funny conversation to have and, and realize that people are more open to talking about mental health sometimes when it revolves around their animal as opposed to themselves. Um, so that's been an interesting thing. But, I, but also, I think dealing with the animals, so, you know, being around them all the time, I, I spend a lot of direct one-on-one -on -one time with the animals in our facility and seeing the change that is going through them as they are adjusting to medication. It's absolutely fascinating how similar it is to people. The symptoms they exhibit are so similar. You know, they might it might be a little different because they're doing it much more physically than than maybe verbally, but they're very similar. And I think being able going through what I've gone through and what a lot of my coworkers, I, I swear it's like a requirement that you have to have a mental health problem to work at an animal shelter. <laughs> like on the application um but i think it's because we we can better read what they're experiencing and i i, I honestly i really do think that is a symbiotic relationship because you you know you're seeing it in another creature and you're recognizing it and you're you're able to sort of be like oh i've actually done that before like i've okay i might not be like spinning in circles like a dog but i've been in a situation where i can't relax i can't calm down um and I, there, I think there's just something about that connection that people have with animals and being able to see that and accept it and realize like this pet is getting help through a chemical that is, you know, they're, they're ingesting. I just think it's made it 
really a, a little bit easier to accept that in yourself, but also to be kind to others, if that makes sense. You know, just having more empathy and more sympathy for people, animals, whoever. Um, so yeah, I recommend spending time with animals if you're <laughs> if you're dealing with things that really you you will be amazed at how many similarities there are. It's it's fascinating. For more information, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.